Hi everyone, Brad here, bringing you something a little different this week. Lisa and I are still recovering from our Star Wars Celebration Awesome Con 1-2 Punch. Those were two really incredible events, and it was great to meet up with so many of you at those conventions, but it did push our calendar back a bit. We are hard at work right now, putting our notes together for our Angela and Sarah couples session, covering Angela Asgard's assassin from Marvel Comics. And man, I'm having so much fun with it. And because this is an episode that has been building for so long and only getting longer and longer and longer, and I am sorry for that, we are sorry for that, but we do not want to mess it up. We want to take our care with it. So we're, we're not rushing to get that episode out. And I'm sorry it's not out yet, but this is the joy of having a very indie, indie comic book podcast. But if you're a patron, you haven't missed this at all because we've been cranking out our Sandman issue by issue read through what we call the Sleepwalking with Sandman series on our Patreon feed. And Lisa and I were talking about this the other day after we wrapped up our conversation on Sandman 34. Those are some of our wildest and most entertaining conversations. Uh, we call it sweatpants mode. It's where we get really wild, loosey-goosey with the chit-chat. Uh, it really does feel like uh, you're hanging out with us in the love nest in a way that these regular comic book couples counseling episodes don't because, you know, we've got our game face on with our sessions. Like, you know, these notes, like I wish we were those podcasts that just like flipped a switch, hit record and started chit chatting about whatever comics news. That's not what we do here. You know, we get lost in the process of putting these episodes together which is why, again, we don't have our Angela and Sarah episode out because we put like 12, 13, 20 hours of uh, pre-game into those episodes before we ever hit record. But with these Sleepwalking with Sandman episodes, yeah, we just flip a switch and we go. And, eh, you know, sometimes, sometimes we have a little uh, alcoholic beverage with us, sometimes we don't, sometimes we're just high on the content. And this episode that we are previewing for you here, it covers Sandman issue 17. This was done several months back, and it was actually done right after Christmas, right after Lisa's birthday. So the beginning of this episode, you're going to hear Lisa and I talking about how that week went, if Lisa had a satisfying birthday. That's what you're about to hear before we get into the Sandman chatter. It goes on for about 15 minutes, so if you want to skip ahead, feel free to do so. I will not be offended, uh, although I think it's also some of our, like, cutest convo. I just re-listened to it, and, uh, you know, I'm biased, but I love it so much. And then we get into the comments from our patrons, these, these folks, they, they don't just go like, Oh, good job. Oh, you missed this thing. No, they bring, I mean, they bring their a game. They make these episodes as good as they are. We get essays, not comments from our listeners. And we read through those and they help us uh, contextualize what we're experiencing as first time readers of Sandman. It can be a little hard, but we allow our listeners to be the experts. It's a vulnerable experience, but Lisa and I do not know what's going on with Sandman. We're trying to figure out, and it's it, it, like by issue 17, we're starting to see Morpheus's arc 
arc, his evolution as a character, and it's super exciting, but we still don't get what the Endless are, so we're fumbling around. Now, where we are on the Patreon feed currently is with Sandman issue 34, which is the third part of a game of you, and I mean, now I'm a full-blown Sandman obsessive. Uh, I, I it, it pains me that we are doing these issues week to week. I would love to just blitz through some trades, but that would also spoil the fun of what we're doing with our sleepwalking through Sandman series. And I like going back in time, doing a little Christmas in June. Dream Country is such a fantastic arc. It's one of my favorite arcs. This issue is one of my favorite issues. I think the conversation it creates between Lisa and I is one of the best conversations that we've had with these sleepwalking through Sandman issues. And I hope you will enjoy it too. You know, with the Sandman trailer recently dropping via Netflix's like geeked week. Uh, I, I, I am in awe of how they are going to adapt these stories. And I'm very curious and I love the excitement around Sandman right now. And I hope you guys are just as excited as we are. And if you like what you listen to here, please consider joining up with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Patreon feed. You can enter at the Smitten Kitten level. That is a dollar a month or $12 a year. You can buy an annual pass to Comic Book Couples Counseling's Patreon. Very, very little amount of money. Uh, you know, you can't even go to the movies for that kind of cash these days, and we're giving you hours of content. There's 37 Sandman episodes on the feed, and we've only covered 34 issues. There's some two-parters there, friends. Not to mention our comically real episodes where we dive into movies like The Rocketeer and The Punisher Trilogy. Yes, The Punisher Trilogy. Plus our Creator Cranny episodes. We recently did an interview with Chris Condon, uh, the author of That Texas Blood, and as well as like Christian Ward of of Bloodstained Teeth and Aquaman Andromeda fame. Uh, those chats are wonderful. Highly recommend giving those a listen too. And guess what? I've unlocked those conversations so you can go check those out without paying a dollar a month. It's okay. Go check them out. Give me some comments on those episodes. I would love to read them. But we also don't expect everyone to sign up for our Patreon. Uh, we understand that not everyone can afford to do so or not everyone has the desire to do so. That's a-okay. We hope you enjoy this preview. Let us know on Twitter or on our Facebook page. Links in the show notes at CBCC Podcast. Lisa's at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mouthdork on Twitter and Instagram. Let's hang out online. Let's chat about Sandman. And of course, happy holidays. Bum bum bottom, 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 Hello, friends. What's up, lovebirds? It's Brad and Lisa. Hello. Uh, post-Christmas, post-Lisa birthday. We made it, you guys. We made the it. The holidays are 
almost over. There's still New Year's. There's still New Year's. But we had a great time. Lots of laughs. We've got a few days left to 2021. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about it on our main episode for the week, which we're going to record hopefully in the next two days. Hopefully. Three days. Yeah. Uh, get it out before 2021 is over. Uh, but this has been such an incredibly wonderful and weird year. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it's been a humbling year in a lot of ways. Uh, but just like sticking to the holidays, it was a good holiday. Good holiday? It was a good holiday. We laughed. We cried. We exchanged <laughs> gifts. Yeah, yeah. We thanked each other. Uh, Lisa, not like, uh, you know, not to put you on the spot, but did you have any particular gift from Christmas, mm, not your birthday, not my birthday, that was a highlight? Well, from you, I got that big two-volume book by Paul McCartney with like the like alphabetized yeah Paul McCartney the lyrics yeah it's where he takes a bunch of his songs and he talks about like what what was happening around the time of their inception and what ideas were going into those songs I think that's really cool I'm gonna I'm gonna leaf through that yeah well that was a gift for you absolutely <laughs> also a little bit of a gift for me it's been a very Beatles December yeah yeah ever since we watched get back which I'm sure we've already mentioned on this podcast at some point we've been uh, uh we've both been in a beetle mania yeah and loving it and so I knew Lisa for Christmas had gotten me uh, an LP, a four LP set, an import from Japan featuring four lengthy interviews with each Beatle. Yeah, we found it at, uh, like, Second Brad was and there Charles. when I when I found it. We found it at Second and Charles, and they had it in a display case. And so I was just like, is that the kind of thing <laughs> a guy would want around Christmas time? And then he was like, yes. Yeah, I would like that. And, and so <laughs> knowing that you were giving me that import, I thought, oh, I could pair something cool with that. Mm -hmm. And so that they both kind of become like a, a Brad and Lisa gift. That's, that's so fun. We did give each other a few surprises. I did give you that shining shirt. You didn't weren't expecting that? Yeah, and I wore it all day yesterday. It looks very handsome. It's the uh, carpet pattern from the Overlook Hotel. Looks very, very cool. good on my chest. And then John and Kenzie, that's my brother and his wife, gave us like one of those like box mysteries yeah. where you just like <laughs> open the box and, and uh, there's like a little note that's like a crime has happened and you've <laughs> got to solve it and um it was baking based yeah. it was called baker's dozen and um the the mystery was all of the judges of the of the show baker's dozen had deadly allergies <laughs> and someone had smashed all of the sets epipens and ripped up all of the um all of the recipes to cover up that one of them was planning to murder one of the judges by uh, by uh, killing him with his terrible allergies, or they. Yeah, and so yeah, you don't spoil it. Uh, <laughs> you we, might be doing it. Maybe you guys got a baker's dozen. We played it last night. I was awake for the first two and a half hours of playing Baker's Dozen. Yeah, we started it at like 8.30, which was a mistake. And then I fell asleep, and then I woke, and then I crawled to bed, and then I woke up around 2 o'clock in the morning to Lisa crawling back into bed because she solved the murder <laughs> mystery without me. I couldn't stop. 
stop. The, uh, I I had to stop it before the the, the taping uh, of the finale. I, I feel like the last thing I said to you before crawling into bed was, "Hey, we can continue this in the morning." And you did continue it <laughs> in through the morning, the morning yeah. without me. Well, it you know what like at the bottom. So once we had puzzled together all of the ripped up recipes, the bottom had like little like they were allowed to put in code at the bottom of their recipes substitution notes. Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> I like I just like once I start something like that, like I just cannot stop. Yeah, so uh, that was a lot of fun. So Brad woke up to be going like, I solved the crime. Well, like the weird the weird thing about that game is that once you solve it, you're done with the game. You might as well throw it in the garbage. Yeah, I mean, when we first started solving it, like I was trying to keep it like clean uh-huh. so that we could like per- perhaps pass it on. But they were it was a bunch of sealed envelopes was the the most of the like mystery part. Yeah. And like once we had unsealed the envelopes and then I was like, well, it's annoying to have all of these like recipes here, but they're all in pieces. So I taped the recipes together and I was like, well, once I've taped the recipes together, like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yes, we would recommend that if you want uh I'm guessing, what, five hours of entertainment? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're slow like me, I'm bad at puzzles. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm bad at word puzzles. But, but like, the great thing is, like, once I had solved it, like, they do have, like, a little, like, hints page. And so I got to go back onto the hints page and then see all of the other hints that I missed. Oh, yeah, yeah, So there yeah. were other, like, little clever things that we had figured out by other means. Yeah. But there were also other hidden messages to to verify those hunches that we had, which I think Certainly so the best gift we've ever been given by John and Kenzie. Yeah, they nailed it. It was yeah, so fun. Yeah. Your mom also made us a really incredible quilt. Yeah, it's beautiful. She had clearly um, picked out the fabric with us in mind. It's a bunch of animals that are wearing glasses. <laughs> <laughs> right on, perfectly on brand. Um, I have four siblings, so this year two of us got, got uh, two of the, the couples got um, quilts. Got quilts, yeah. And then the other half will get quilts uh, next Christmas. In the future. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people who show up on Christmas Day take priority. That's right. So John <laughs> and Quincy didn't get a quilt. Uh, so who got the quilt? Joe then? and Joe- Monica. Uh, well, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. All I, feel all I hear like, is like it, uh, what, uh, what applies to me. Uh, I'm going to stick with my sentiment of uh, if you want a quilt, come on Christmas Day. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, true. And, then, and then Lisa got me the shirt and she got me the import and you also got me a copy of Once Upon a Time in China, the Criterion mm-hmm. box set. Haven't cracked into that yet super excited uh i was also given a glorious gift we were given a glorious gift from barnes and noble oh yeah the day after christmas boxing day they had their 48 hour sale all hardcovers 50 percent off which is an absolutely ridiculous sale to do so we got a big fat stack of comics. Yeah, we went hunting for comics. We bought a lot of comic books from Barnes & Noble. Uh, I hope that's not a sign that things are bad for Barnes & Noble because, that's yeah. again, that's a really absurd sale. Uh, that is the place where Brad and I met and fell in love. That's right. My favorite thing about that, though, was sharing that sale online and then having people like Kelly Sue DeConnick, Brian Michael Bendis, Tom King retweet it 
And then all the people who saw that tweet then tweet at us the fat stacks that they were buying. Yeah, it became a community, an online community experience that kind of started with comic book couples counseling, which feels really great. Yeah, it ended up having 175,000 impressions on Mm -hmm. that tweet. And, you know, like like Lisa said, we met at Barnes & Noble. So Barnes & Noble has this very special place in our heart. And, you know, what started out as those evil corporate people who pushed out all the mom and pop shops have now discovered that they are one of those mom and pop shots being pushed out by Amazon and Walmart and online shopping. And uh, having now worked 11 years at Barnes and Noble, I'm all about supporting that company. Yeah, I think they should have done a better job of getting that 50% off sale out there into the world. There <laughs> but was we did our part. <laughs> no signage on the wall when yeah, I walked in. Yeah. Um, and, but anyway, and then of course, supporting comics and getting to see people uh, getting co- the comics that they've always wanted for a great deal. And, you know, the way we use that sale was there are items that we've been looking at for a long time and thinking about, but going like, gosh, you know, that's a $50 book and we can't really like that. It does. It seems ridiculous to buy that $50 book. And then now it's a $25 book. Which is like paying us to have the book. Right. So what do we end up doing? <laughs> we end up buying like a couple $25 uh, hardbacks. Uh, but and, we yeah. love it. And, and, and that was, and it was a fun way to celebrate the holidays. Yeah. Just the two of yeah. us. And then it was your birthday, Yay, Lisa. It's my I, birthday. So I asked you your favorite Christmas gifts. What was your favorite birthday gift? Well, definitely the thing I'm most excited to just break into and bust into is my set of, uh, queer eye Legos. Yeah. I saw those at target and I was like, Brad, that would be an amazing birthday gift or Christmas gift for some Somebody. And I was like, um, you know, maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. I love that um, Queer Eye is big enough to have a set of yeah. Legos. And I'm excited to finally have more representation of my hero, Jonathan Van Ness, in my home. They're so special to me. Yeah. Um, so that's really wonderful. Yeah. And it's a fun project. I like doing Legos. I actually got two Lego sets from you because for Christmas you gave me the um, Endgame Thor apartment yeah Lego you, set my favorite Lego sets are the ones that look like little doll houses because yep. that's that's the way I play Legos uh John would you know make cars and planes and I'm sorry that this is so gender normative but it is the truth and I would then build little houses and couches and for the little <laughs> I would play house with them yeah and so, so these are like two dioramas yeah I love dioramas I yeah. love them so that's so fun and then I loved having, I'm almost embarrassed how much I love getting words of affirmation on my birthday from all of the wonderful people on Twitter. Like, it really does, like, it's sick. It really does fill my love tank so, so much. Like, it's, like, vulnerable for me to say, but, like, just, like, somebody going, like, hey, you know, what you're doing is really great, and um, the person whom you're trying to be on the internet is really working. We see it. We see what you're doing. And um, just getting that affirmation from so many people, people I love, people I admire, people I I've think, never like, met. nearly every one of our patrons wished you a happy birthday. And And it was just so special, and I appreciate it so, 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 so much. Like, um, like... The because of words of affirmation and me realizing 
the relationship I have with them. Like, I, I have a special bond with Cookie Monster now. Right. Where it's just like, there is something in my life that when I get it, it defines me. Yeah. Words of affirmation and my love of words of affirmation, like, I am a words of affirmation monster. And every time I get words of affirmation, it's a pleasant surprise. Prize that I like relish and enjoy. Every and time Lisa checked her phone yesterday, she was beaming. I was and smiling. So I would also thank everybody who sent Lisa some words of affirmation. Well, you're the one who did the initial tweet yeah. to make the, the words of affirmation happen. Oh, it is also now Jamie's birthday. That's right. So she deserves some words of affirmation. We love her so much. She's one of our, you know, beautiful comic book friends that we made on the internet. And it blows my mind that we've never met in person. And now at just this point. started writing for Girls Talk Comics wrote an exceptional review for, for the Deadly Deadliest... Bouquet. Yeah, so good. Deadliest Bouquet. That's right. That's so right. good. So insightful. Yeah. Uh, and I'm excited for the future of all those reviews that Me Jamie's going to put out there into the world. So that's super exciting. Yes. Uh, yeah. So a solid, solid week we've had. I hope you have all enjoyed your past week as well. Got some good gifties. I hope that you've all gotten our Patreon holiday cards. If you haven't, it's because you didn't get to me in time, but a lot of you have gotten to me in time. So we're going back to the post office to mail more holiday cards <laughs> this week. And so it's, if you're the holidays don't end until January 1st. They don't. They don't. But if you're listening to this and we have not communicated in any way, because there are a few of you still out there that have not answered your Patreon message. I know Patreon is a weird messaging system, but it's how we communicate. So if you have not checked your inbox, please do so. I have sent you an email, a note, asking for confirmation on your address. We want to get those cards out to each and every one of you. Unless you don't want us to know where you live, which and that's is fine. fair. No, and some people <laughs> said like they didn't want it, and that's totally cool. Uh, I like, But what's even way cooler are all the places across this country, across Canada, across England that we have sent cards. So we have shipped overseas. If you're overseas and you're like, oh, Brad and Lisa, they don't want to send me a card. Yes, yes we, we do. do. We do. We do. So, yeah. Uh, thank you all. Thank you all. Uh, okay. I think I think it's time to get into the meat I'm of this I'm excited episode. about this issue. I really enjoyed it. Uh, spoilers, Lisa. I really enjoyed this issue as well. It might be one of my faves. It might be my favorite episode. That's hard to say. My favorite issue. Like, it could be. It could be. It's and really good. by the end of this conversation, it might very well definitely be. But before we can even get into this particular issue, we need to go back to last week's issue, number 16, and address some comments. We Yay. got a few here. Excellent. Uh, up first, Alexander Ostroff says. Hello. And And... He has some like corrections. Ooh. And, and, and well, maybe not even corrections, but some clarifications. I love it. So, this is what Alexander has to say Desire hasn't been siring the vortex the entire time. Unity herself says that she was originally destined to be the vortex, but it was passed down to Rose because of dreams, imprisonment, etc. What Desire did by assaulting and impregnating Unity was take advantage of dreams, imprisonment to create a situation where the new Vortex, Rose, was Desire's granddaughter and thus related to Dream. Right. This created a situation where had Unity 
not save the day, Dream would be forced to spill family blood, which is against the rules, in order to destroy the Vortex Vortex save the world. If Desire had sired previous Vortexes, oh, Dream yeah, would have true. already unwittingly spilled family blood that makes sense. in the past and suffered whatever consequences Desire is trying to bring about. That, that makes total sense. Oh, yeah. thank you for putting that together for us. Jeez. Also worth thinking about how thematically the crystal hearts from this issue in Desire's sigil and that Rose gives to Unity link to the glass slash crystal heart that the youth goes looking for in the doll, Doll's House prologue before getting to hear the story of Nada and Desire's admission mm. earlier in this arc of having somehow meddled to cause the Nada situation. Okay, yeah, because we had forgotten that detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alexander finishes with, in terms of the story arcs and your sense that this one felt more like Rose's story than Morpheus's story, Gaiman has said in the past that he had tried to alternate between masculine and feminine story arcs, acknowledging the binary and kind of uh, essentialist limits of that type of thinking. The structure of the series sort of alternates major arcs focused on Morpheus with major arcs for focused on characters with Morpheus playing a more supporting role. From here on out, in between these major arcs, Gaiman tends to insert three to four issues of one-offs that explore nooks and crannies and short stories of the world where he tested out new art teams who would then take over future major arcs. Smart. You're about to dive into the first of these series of short stories for the next few issues, and then another big arc, then a few short stories, then a big arc, etc. In the trade paperbacks, many of these stories uh, from across the entire run are collected together out of publication order, I think one of the benefits of your issue by issue approach is that you're going to get to read the series with pacing that keeps those little bubbles of short stories as breathers in between the main plot line. Yeah. So is that like what Preludes and Nocturnes is? Well, pre well Preludes and Nocturnes was the first story arc. Oh, never you know, mind. Plus I don't... like issue eight or whatever. Okay. Sure. Um, so what I was thinking about reading this week's issue, the one we're about to discuss, is how Sandman is actually a lot like Mike Mignola's Hellboy in terms of structure. Yes. Right? When I had the same thought. Yes. Get one-offs and side quests, and then we will then return to a major arc, a longer story. But that's what life is like, too. That's what life is like. And now that, now that you know... Um, I'm reading it in this fashion with the Hellboy comparison in my mind, like all my issues with what's the structure of this narrative have faded away completely. Mm, good. And I, it makes me wonder if I had read Hellboy issue to issue the way that we're reading Sandman issue to issue and not trade to trade, would I have also had struggles and difficulties with its anthology like um, structure. Ooh, maybe. Maybe. 
Maybe, maybe. Uh, so thank you, Alexander. Thank you so much. For all that info. Super helpful. Uh, this one comes from Chris Chaka. Great episode, Yay. y'all. I pressed play the second I finished reading issue 16, so the excitement carried straight over. In fact, I got so into it that when Brad wondered if desire had caused all the vortexes, I blurted out why this couldn't be true, as if I was on a Zoom <laughs> and not listening to a podcast. I've had a few people tell me that. Uh, Brad, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm yeah, I was also you. wrong. I was also wrong. We were t- we, we share being wrong. Speaking of Zoom, I had no idea you were drunk the other night, Lisa. Okay, uh, good. Excellent sober fame. Yes, Chaco was part of that uh, DVD Blu-ray exchange. Yep, yep. Uh, you guys really helped me out too because in my haste, I had completely skipped over the two pages without realize w- w- skipped over two pages without realizing. In my read through, I jumped from Unity breaking the crystal heart straight to Rose Six's Rose's six months later. I figured we were just supposed to infer what happened in the direct aftermath until Lisa started describing some unfamiliar artwork. I must admit, it made a lot more sense once I found. The the missed pages. I've done that. I've done it. When so two pages I. stick together and you go, ooh, look how uh, <laughs> <laughs> look how cr- creative the, the what what is the word I'm looking for? The chronology yeah, of this. Yeah, the sequentially is really <laughs> experimental. Inventive. Yeah. Of course, I probably never would have started reading Sandman in the first place without you two, so it's doubly true. Yay. Yay. Uh, as far as the issue itself, I thought it was a wonderful wrap-up. I love the dual interpretations of who lived in the dollhouse. Barbie's resolution definitely felt like a tease for an expanded tale. I hope we get more from her, yes. either in Sandman or the larger DC world. You can't just throw a Mr. Ten Bones out <laughs> there and only give him a few panels of existence. I second that, yes. Uh, anyway, Volume 3 delivers on Wednesday, so I'll be ready for the next Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. Thank you for your generosity or Wednesday and patience. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chris, it's 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 so interesting about like the Barbie thing because Lisa read the issue before me and you know, I glimpsed over her shoulder as she was reading and I saw Calliope and I thought, "Oh, that's Barbie. Bar- this oh, is going to be a Barbie issue." And then, you know, immediately I realized it wasn't Barbie. So, I am obviously craving some Barbie or really some Mr. Ten Bones. Uh, final comment comes from Greg Lampert. Great episode, Brad and Lisa. I'm glad. Oh, no. And then he says, Brad, I'm glad you remembered to breathe. I'll try to remember to do that this week. He's in reference to my Spider-Man No Way Home review. Uh, A couple of things that have stuck in my mind. First, did the heart that Rose pulled out of her chest remind you of the Dreamstone Ruby that John D. had in issue six and seven. Okay, yeah. Now that you said that a little bit. Yeah, I, ha- I mean, there's so many crystals going around. Like, <laughs> when is a crystal lazing nasi and peep or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Same color and cut, albeit a different Terrible shape. I, you know, I wasn't going to comment on it because who am I to comment? The <laughs> second thing may be a bit of a controversial comment. Okay, let's prepare ourselves. Uh, so let's see how the chips fall on this one. We're no longer friends. No, I haven't even heard it. I absolutely hate it when a story attempts to wrap up a storyline by doing a quick explanation 
of what happens to all the characters. So the part with Rose's journal wrapping up what happened to the others at Hal's boarding house felt forced to me. Perhaps there will be some future stories that come to play, but it reminded me of M. Night Shyamalan's movie Unbreakable, which I thought was really good right up until the very end, where it awkwardly wrapped up the storyline for everyone like they were disembarking from the love boat and telling Julie (laughs) McCoy and Gopher what their plans are now that they're now that they found true love. Um, Yeah, I also am not a big fan of this. And I think that's what I was trying to say in last week's episode, because I feel like just hearing, well, this is what happened with Jed and this is what happened with the, like I'm missing the emotional connection to that situation. I think in terms of uh, Jed, it really wasn't sufficient. But I think you helped me appreciate it a bit more because really what that sequence was about was how out of it Rose was Mm -hmm. after her confrontation with Morpheus. And that scene being told that way through that journal form, her rambling through the lives of all the other people that she talked about was really her reawakening Mm -hmm. and, 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 and underscoring how distraught and, um, Dejuiced she was after her chat with Morpheus in the dreaming. I can imagine, you know, letting that that kind of narrative uh, knee jerk thing become a pet peeve because it does happen a lot and it is an excuse to 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 stop a story like i can stop now because i'm just going to tell you what happened and it, it, you know it also prevents you from doing something differently in the future if you do pick those characters mm-hmm. up or mm-hmm. it makes you look like uh, uh you know you you didn't have it all planned out because if you look at unbreakable all those things that are said at the end of that movie are negated by split and glass right right, right? right. so but but that being said um, my, uh, my little mantra about, uh, pet peeves is it's only a pet because you keep feeding and watering it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so let the peeve go. Yeah. Let the peeve the, go. You don't, you don't have that. to, you don't have to raise that peeve to become a, a, a full blown. But I think Greg makes another excellent point here by saying like, what made it worse for me was the paragraphs of typewriter font used to put so much information in mm. a small space on the page. I'd rather have just not known what happened to them, save maybe a line or two on how everyone went their way, uh, their own ways and how sold the house to the spider women. Yeah. It's just one of my pet peeves. Yeah, don't feed and water it. So it may bother me more than it did other readers. I'd rather have had more on how Jed and Rose pushed through their reunification. Yeah, because I, I, th- that idea does fascinate me like the idea of reconnecting with an estranged traumatized sibling like i'm curious yeah i want i want that story and i'll be a little sad if we don't get more of their story yeah Yeah, yeah. rose and jed together um but really other than the first one and a half pages of rose's typewriter notes the story wrapped up very well i'm ready to dive into the next storyline merry christmas lisa and brad and to all the other patrons Yay. yay Good comments, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm loving the comments more and more. Same, same. Uh, All right. Now let's get into the new issue, Sandman issue 
17. 17. <laughs> yeah, but, we're losing, we're starting to lose count. I think Brad's asked me what issue number this is like four <laughs> times and I've had to look it up every single time. The title is Calliope. Uh, the writer is Neil Gaiman, Kelly Jones, guest penciler, Malcolm Jones, the third anchor, Daniel Vazo, the colorist on the digital, Robbie Bush, the colorist on the original uh, single issue, Todd Klein, letterer, Tom Pyre, assistant editor. And I realized after we recorded, but we've had Tom Pyre in a Creator Cranny episode. Oh, wow. We've interviewed him about yeah, his comic true. Penultimate Man. Yes. Penultimate Man. Penultimate Man. That's hard to say. Which, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back in the Patreon feed. Give that a l- listen. He's a very measured guy. The responses come slow and quietly, but they are informative. And Penultimate Man, Penultimate Man. Like, you, you nail it every time. I don't do know I? why you're okay. re- repeating it. Penultimate Man. Now that time you should mess it up. <laughs> uh, I love that comic, and I think it's one of the unsung gems of 2021. I don't know if it's going to necessarily make our best of the year episode, but it could. It could. Stay tuned. Uh, so I wish I had known that when I was interviewing him because I would have asked him about his time on Sandman. And I'm very curious, and I haven't researched this in any way, how long he becomes, how long he remains the associate editor on Sandman. So, mm-hmm. and then of course. So is it not Penultimate Man, but Penultiman? It's, pen, well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's Penultiman. Penultiman. So it's not Penultimate Man, it's Penultiman. Oh, I've been calling it in my head Penultimate Man. Yeah, probably I mean, because that's the way you say basic, it. It's basic, yeah, because I can't fucking say it right. It's okay. We, we've dropped two F-bombs. I think that that's all we can do. Okay. Two. All right. We're out of F-bombs. Good, 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 good. Uh, and then the main editor, of course, is Karen Berger. And then the final credit is featuring characters created by Gaiman, Keith, and Dringenberg. Yay. Okay, so where do we begin? Where I always want to begin, the very beginning, so I can then talk about every single page. (laughs) (laughs) So the book opens with a writer named uh, Richard Maddock collecting from one of his fans a Bezoar. So um, had you heard of Bezoar before? Not, I mean, I think the answer is yes, because I watch a lot of SVU, Uh Law and Order, right? Uh, And I believe this has come up in that show before. I did not remember the term Bezor, but as they were describing it, I knew what it was. Yeah, so um, I had heard about it because there's a uh, a medical history podcast called Sawbones. and they did They did a whole issue on um, Bezor. And the, 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 you know, presumed magical metal, medical properties of these disgusting items. Um, so a, a bezoar is like when there is something in a stomach, it can be a human stomach or an animal stomach or whatever, that cannot be digested. And then things begin to kind of collect around it to create this kind <laughs> of like gross like, you know, object, mass. Um, And they can, they can be made of many things. But um, in the case of this bezoar, it's a trichnobezoar, which is a a bezoar made of human hair. (laughs) So sometimes people who have like anxiety disorders, like actually when I teach, taught at a school, we we had a kid who had like trichnophilia or whatever it's called where yeah. she was constantly plucking out her hair yeah. and um to the point where it was like visibly like oh you know something's going on with this kid um but he's collecting this trichnobezoar because he's going to exchange it to another author 
Erasmus Fry, who has captured one of the nine muses, Calliope. Yeah, and uh, initially when I saw Fry, I felt like, is he somebody from like Vault of Horror or House of Mystery? But then I did like a quick goog, and it looks like this is his first appearance in comic book form. Okay, interesting. I wonder if he'll come up, pop up other oh, places while he is he's dead. got to. No, I think he's coming back. <laughs> you think I he's think coming back? Death means nothing in Sandman. Um, so... Uh, he so when uh, Murdoch Maddock, Maddock. I can't, I'm getting Matt Murdoch and <laughs> yeah. Richard Maddock conflated in my brain because of similar names. But um, Rick exchanges the Bezoar, and Erasmus mentions that um, lots of people collect Bezoar because of these medical, like magical medical properties, uh, particularly for. Um, curing poisonings. Yeah. So like if you are poisoned and you have a bezoar, you can survive. Did you catch a reference to a previous Sandman character? Yes. So Queen Elizabeth I was given a gold encrusted bezoar by her magician friend John D. Yeah. From uh those first issues. Doctor Destiny. Yeah. I also really appreciated because when uh, Matic gets the Bezoar. Bezoar? I say Bezoar just because okay. it went in doubt, say all of the vowel sounds. Got it. So when Rick gets the stone from his doctor pal, uh, he the doctor only wants an autograph in exchange for this uh, Bezoar. Mm -hmm. And the, the title of the book, I thought, was very funny. Yeah. Uh, uh, Maddox's first novel, the his debut book, that uh, gave him a little bit of fame is called The Cabaret of Dr. Caligari, mm. uh, a play on the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the famous uh, expressionist German silent film. And just hearing the name The Cabaret of Dr. Caligari, I was like, I gotta read that book. <laughs> <laughs> Where I, I, want, I want someone out there to write some Sandman fan fiction, which is just the contents of The Cabaret of Dr. Caligari. Get on that, you guys. Get on it. Um, what, what I think, what I want to point out in this moment is like exchanging a Bezoar. So like as a doctor, this fan, what's his name? His name is Felix Garrison. As a, like, a, like he, as a doctor, he encounters Bezoars all of the time. Like, so he doesn't really think of it, this thing as a valuable thing. And then he exchanges it for this signed autographed copy of the book, which to um, Maddox is not a precious thing because yeah. it's his book and he can write his name any damn time. And I think that there is this ongoing theme in uh, this issue about like things are only precious because we make them precious yeah. and we only feel a sense of scarcity because we we do not have it in our hands. It's a fiction. Yeah, it's a it's a metaphor. Like it's just a, like an idea, you know. So. Um, and so that theme goes on throughout this, throughout this issue, and the reason that Matic wants exchanges the Bezoar for Calliope is that he is having writer's block. So he, without the help of one of the muses, 
that we know of, but without the help of one of the muses, he was able to write one novel and that novel was a hit. But now he's feeling this sense of scarcity for his ideas because he's expected to have this another yeah. valuable, precious yeah. idea and he cannot find it. Yeah. So because of the rareness and the preciousness of an idea, he does this heinous act. And, you know, there have been many muse stories in fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, I recently watched the Albert Brooks movie, The Muse, where Sharon Stone is the muse oh, yeah, in the story. Did. And uh, th it's not the best Albert Brooks movie, but it's kind of interesting. But, you, you know, when I the, the muse stories that I have encountered in the past you know, the muse is nearby. Maybe they're being held prisoner. Maybe they're not. Um, but this particular version of imprisonment and rape. Mm, it's gnarly. Really upsetting. Really scary. Really scary. And the way that Kelly Jones actually illustrates it. I was shocked that we got a panel of the rape in progress. It's not... So graphic. I, I do want to warn, like, do a trigger warning. Like, you know, there is rape in this story, and we're not going to describe it in detail. And I, I, even though you say, like, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, like, it's I, not I pornographic. It, yeah. It's not pornographic, but it is graphic. It is very upsetting, and I was shocked at how clearly they depicted what it was, what was going on, and that there is no running away from. Like, this is. Uh, rape act. This is yeah. an act of rape. Yeah, and the way that Maddox allows himself to go through with this with this rape is and that he convinces himself like yeah. Calliope isn't a isn't actually a woman. He otherizes her. He otherizes her, even though she is suffering. You yeah, know, she's yeah. suffering and she's being traumatized. And that otherizing is something that we see continually in our life around us, mm -hmm. and it's you know. It is it, the most toxic impulse. Yeah, I mean, if you if you other someone, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just I, I had difficulty getting past that page, honestly. Yeah. So um, so Calliope is passed from Erasmus Fry, who had promised her that he would free her before right. before his death, and now he's reneging on that pro that on that promise. Yeah, and he's like, I'm a writer and writers lie. Writers lie. They just come up with stuff. And so and so he then passes her over to Maddock. Now, when she is in captivity, she calls on the three witches who we've seen in previous issues. So are that that was my question. Are those actually the witching hour witches? I presume yes. Anytime you see three women, and they come in so many different forms. Right. I think it's pretty safe to presume anytime we see three women. And so they're not one of the nine muses. No. Muses. <laughs> uh, muses. They're yeah, not one of the yeah. nine muses. I, I, I thought that too. I just wanted to get some clarification here. Yeah. And I think that like... We also hear her, you know, use other names for like Morpheus and stuff. I, I think that it's just goes back to the idea that there are these essential beings and depending on your perception or where you're coming from, you see them in a certain way. Okay. So yeah. um, the names she uses for the muses are Melite, Neme, and Iode. We could have probably Googled that. We but probably could have. That's probably. And they do have the appearance of mother-daughter crone. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, 
Um, and so she goes like, is there any way that you guys can help free me? And they're like, sorry, this is like a within the realm of like legal bondage and like whatever news, news territory. And, and, um, they're like, well, you could like, maybe a person who could free you is Onerios, which is the Greek name for the physical manifestation of dreams. So maybe you could call out to him, but he is also in captivity and inaccessible. And not only that, it's revealed in that conversation that Calliope has had a relationship with Dream and that they have sired a child together. And the child was someone who had gone to, to Hades to retrieve his lost love. Yeah. So I think it's pretty safe to presume that Orpheus and Calliope's son, uh, Orpheus, Morpheus and Calliope's son is Orpheus. Yeah, and I think at the end of this issue, the final page, they uh, highlight that, they underline it, and they put an exclamation mark on it. Yeah, so um, Orpheus is considered like um, like one of the greatest all-time musicians, artists. The reason I know about Orpheus is because of Monteverdi's opera about Orpheus. So like a Monteverdi's opera is considered like one of, like an early example of opera. And there's been, of course, like many operas written about the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. So yeah. Interesting. So, so cool. Hope we want to come back to this tidbit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a huge revelation, especially coming off of last week's issue and this idea of that Morpheus could actually sire children. And that was a real dangerous threat in last week's issue. But now we learn that, no, it's it has happened. And maybe it's happened several times. Yeah, we have no idea. So, um, so now then we get like kind of an ongoing like uh, several flashbacks in chronological order of um, Rick Maddox's career building. So he writes a second, you know, novel and a third novel, and he begins directing films and writing plays, and he's just having success after success. There's an interview in that section where it looks like he is speaking to journalist slash author Kim Newman, the uh, writer of Anno Dracula. Mm -hmm. uh, you can recognize him by those giant mutton chops that he's got on there. Mm -hmm. And I love this idea where... You know, they compare him to somebody great. I can't even remember who they compare him to author-wise. Mm -hmm. And then they compare him like, well, and then on the lesser spectrum, maybe Clive Barker. Yeah. And I was like, ouch. <laughs> ouch. That's some cold shit. Uh, but as I was building to that moment with Kim Newman, I was thinking, oh, he's kind of taking a Clive Barker role mm. where he was doing, you know, short stories, plays, novels, then he made the jump to film with Hellraiser and Nightbreed, and then Clive Barker kind of like dwindled after Lord of Illusions. Ooh, interesting. Uh, although, you know, he's written some books of late uh, that I really, really liked. Uh, the Scarlet Gospels is incredible. Anyway, so, like, I thought it was interesting that Neil Gaiman gives, like, a playful jab to Clive Barker, a fellow Brit uh, genre author, from the mouth of Kim Newman, who is a famous... Uh, journalist with a focus on genre fiction. So. Yeah, that, like the the Kim Newman reference, I did not catch. So. Yeah, I, I wouldn't imagine you two. Okay, so and I could be wrong. It could like just be a coincidence that that guy looks like Kim Newman. <laughs> so then it comes all the way up to March 1990, and Calliope is still, you know, in still captive. But then Morpheus comes to visit her, and I wonder if that is of his own impulse. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would assume so. Well, no, no, no. The assumption I had was that he was contacted at some point after his imprisonment by the three witches. Oh, okay. But so when um, Rick Murdoch comes home, oh, and Rick Murdoch finds out from that journalist, you were just- Kim refer- Newman. Kim Newman. Um, he finds out that Erasmus died uh, yes. of poisoning himself. Right. Which he had the Bezoar. So I'm guessing that, you know, when you have this precious item, you want to see if it works. And in this case, he ate it. The Bezoar did not work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is interesting in this world of like magic and and mystery and and um the items having power that this particular item did not have power. Right, right. And maybe Bezors in general don't have power. Yeah, we have no idea. Yeah, we yeah. have no idea if they work or not. We do, all we know is that some people think that they are precious and they collect them. And yeah. And I and and I guess we don't have confirmation either of who put Morpheus in Maddox's home if it was his own free will looking at it now. Like you could read it either way. Either like maybe this was just on his to-do list. I mean, I do feel like somewhere, so the exchange between Morpheus and um, Calliope, he says, um, okay, uh, please, if you, oh, I feel like at some point, I can't, I don't remember where, Calliope mentions that Morpheus has been changed. Morpheus is different than when they were well, together. Well, and Morpheus also says that he is different than he was before. Like, yeah. he specifically tells her that I've gone through a lot lately. So, I, like, to me, I feel like he um, kind of re- had some kind of guilt or something and then, like, checked in on her. Like, well, maybe, yeah, and- I, I mean, I, like, like I, I don't know. Because you could easily also say that the witches came to him and said, yo, this is going down. And in the past, he would say like, well, too bad for her. Uh, But now, because of the events that we've recently read, he's willing to help. Or this, again, could be on his checklist. So... um, It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. So um, when Richard Maddock comes home from that interview and finding out that Erasmus is dead, he finds Morpheus in his home, and he thinks that he's some kind of intruder... Um, but then they have like a little exchange and Morpheus is like, you're going to like, I'm not going to call the police or anything. I'm not going to call any earthly agency, but you have a a woman who is captive and you are going to set her free. So he says, you have held her captive for more than 60 years, stripped of all possessions, demeaned, abused, and hurt. I know how she must feel. And now you you will not free her because you need ideas? Yeah. Like, ideas? That's your problem? <laughs> and so he's like, you want ideas. I'm going to give you ideas. <laughs> and um, so then he f- experiences this flood of inspiration that is just out of control, and he becomes a crazy person. And he's like... You know, he has to get it down on paper, but he has no paper around him. So he is like cracking his fingernails and scrawling the tails onto brick wall. And it is such a grotesque image. It is gnarly. And it destroys his fingers. It's Yeah, it's so gross. But he, at first he blames... um, The muse. uh, Blames Calliope. 
and saying, and she goes like, I, I didn't do it. Uh, Ornieros, Onieros, Onieros. I don't know. I don't I'm know not how to pronounce, able to pronounce it. That, um, yeah. Said that um, did it, and he's he was called the shaper of forms, and he said he once was my lover, and he was the father of my son, and he he replies in very small text, I didn't, I didn't know you'd ever had a son. So I think that that's a moment where she is humor humanized yeah. in her in his eyes, and I think that's a really powerful moment so then we have the moment of him like going completely nuts and he reconnects with um the guy from the beginning who gave him the bezoar the doctor um i'm looking up his name his uh the fanboy yeah felix garrison who um goes to take him into the hospital um but he says before he can be taken to the hospital um he Garrison has to go to his home and free her. But when um, when Garrison goes, she's already gone. Yeah, and a and copy of his first book is, uh, no, of Rasmus's first book is waiting for him. And he picks that up. Yeah, and so. The impression that I get is that that book that Erasmus wanted back in print was probably his first book the one that has been forgotten, the one that had no influence of the muse. Mm. And I would imagine that's going to be the same fate for Maddox as well. Yeah. Because you get to an old age and you realize like those books that you created under using the influence of Calliope are not yours. Yeah. And so Erasmus dies desperately wanting his one true book back in publication, but nobody cares about that. Oh, I didn't think about that, but that's beautiful. So then we have a page of, oops, we have two pages of just like uh, Morpheus and Calliope. Oh, and this is where she says it. You know, she says like, you have changed Oneros. In the old days, you would have left me to rot forever without turning a hair. Do you still have hate for me, for what I did? And he says, no, I no longer hate you, Calliope. I have learned much in recent times. And no matter, I do not hate you, child. And, and she says, I think you should release the mortal now. He has set me free. Yeah. So if you. If that is what you wish, it is done. It's similar. Her, her response there is similar to the feeling that Morpheus had for Dr. D at the end of the first arc. Yeah. And I, I think, think that's he, interesting. I think it shows like empathy for a weaker mortal because, you know, he didn't completely understand what he was doing and he was working out of a desperation that I think maybe she has a familiarity with. But that's a level of empathy and forgiveness that is almost, well, is unreal. It's like, unreal, I, yeah. like I can't imagine responding the way that she does, but the fact that she does respond the way that she does just, uh, I'm using Shows the word underscores a lot, but it reveals just what a different plane of existence that these God beings are living on. Yeah. She has a deep well of forgiveness. Well, and, and her idea of time and life is way different than a mortal's. Yeah. So then we have a page of, um, uh, Garrison and Maddox, like Garrison is coming to check in on him. And he says, um, I don't know, uh, this is what Maddox is saying. I don't know anymore. I, I keep trying to think about what she said. The shaper of forms. It seems like it should mean something. And um, Garrison says, there was no one in, in the room, just a book. 
and I and, and the way that the it's a nine panel page, and the way that it is broken up is that every other panel is an image of Morpheus. So as Maddox is speaking, we then cut to a panel of Morpheus, and Morpheus is being. Uh, pulled away and he is fading from existence until his final panel is a blank white space. And so like from the dialogue, you get the sense that um, Maddox is losing his memory of what has happened to him. And he is slowly forgetting M Morpheus and Calliope. And the final pages says it's gone. I've got no idea anymore. No idea at all. And also in that panel, in the middle panel of the page, the like that's like the target panel. That's the bullseye panel. That's the panel that you deliver your hardest hits. That's where you get uh, Maddox saying, um, it was like Morpheus or Orpheus. And so now there's like no doubt, okay, Orpheus is the child of Morpheus. And Calliope. So, um, what did you think about this issue? Like, I mean, it's a freaking fantastic issue. It again, it may be my favorite issue. I need to go back and look at all the other issues. I, I, I think what it does is it shows Morpheus at a different place. We see that he has been radically changed by his experiences over the last two arcs. It sets up so much content. Like, you know, the last arc felt like it was throwing stories left and right. And I've been listening to the depositions between mm -hmm. Todd McFarlane and Neil Gaiman, and Gaiman on the stand is talking about how when he wrote Spawn Number 9, the Angela issue, what he saw as his job was to establish a story that McFarlane and other writers and artists could take and go in a thousand different directions. Mm. And in reading this last arc and reading this issue, what I'm sensing is Neil Gaiman setting up a massive canvas to be filled in later. I also think there is something about the metaphor of the Bezoar and the idea, like, the um, preciousness of ideas that I think relates back to the de deposition where it's just like, well, my idea of Angela only has power because it set like, because we say that Angela, my idea of Angela is a thing of value. Right, right. And because it has been made a thing of value, then that value should go to me because I am the creator of that idea. Yeah. I'm the, the source of that idea. Well, we, we should share the create, like, like I deserve a piece of the pie. Right now, my co-creator, Todd McFarlane, is getting the majority of the pie. And mm -hmm. in, you know, we had agreed on it being like an equal thing, yeah, that I yeah. was a co-creator. And, and like, I don't, I don't know, like Brad has been telling me about the deposition. Oh, I've been listening to it via cartoonist kayfabe right. through the voices of Jim Rugg and Ed Piscor. And then going into Todd McFarlane versus the world, the book by Best, which if you're into all this kind of stuff, very, very readable. But I get the impression that for Neil Gaiman in particular, it wasn't an, a matter of like money or or credit in that way, but it was a matter of principle. Yes, yes. Like the principle that image was set up with is that 
the characters are owned by the creators and now Todd McFarlane is not living up to that principle yeah. and therefore I will bring my wrath down upon you. Well, right, 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 yeah. Uh, I think it's super complicated, but I think I agree with you on that. And I think now you look at what's going on with the Image Workers Union mm -hmm. and Image Comics and we're having to confront the supposed uh, ideology of Image Comics' creation and the reality of what is there. Mm, yeah. You know? So I don't know. Uh, all that. I love all of that stuff. That all. It's all very fascinating. But getting back to this issue, I I think it's an exceptional one. I love Kelly Jones's art in yeah. this. Uh, you know, uh, when we had the Chris Bachelot issue, I was like, oh, this is my favorite version of Morpheus. You know, Mike Dringenberg and Jones together, that is probably the ideal image in my head of what Morpheus should look like. But this Kelly Jones version, especially in the last couple of pages of this issue, uh, this might be my favorite version of Morpheus. Mm, I love that. Um I also think that there is something there about like ideas are like kind of like a bezoar where they're kind of like mm, yeah. an undigested, <laughs> mentally undigested piece of thump something that, you know, becomes yeah. a, a form in a our mass. minds. Yeah. And the only reason we consider our ideas precious and rare is that we treat them like they're precious and rare. But to Morpheus, like, they are not at all rare or precious. They're valueless if you can't do anything with them. It's like, it's not, it doesn't matter the volume of ideas yeah, you have yeah. if you cannot do anything of value with it. Well, Maddox says early on in the issue when he's discussing his writer's block and what's stopping him is this idea of creating new characters, new stories that have not been told before. That are and, good, that are as good or better than his previous book. And what Morpheus is saying is like, you know, <laughs> they're all out there, man. You, you, the, the block is self-inflicted. Right. You know, you're punishing yourself. You're unable to create things. Like these, these uh, this idea that you can't create new ideas is absurd. And even if that were true, it doesn't matter. It's what you do with the old ideas. Yeah, the, yeah. You were having ideas and you were dismissing them. Yeah. And you were saying that those ideas were not precious and beautiful or valuable. Yeah. And so, like, this feels also like a very meta comic book. You know, it feels like Neil Gaiman is exploring the idea of creation. In fact, all of Sandman, if you look at it so far, and I'm guessing will continue to be, feels like a meta commentary on narrative and creation. Yeah. Though, like, in the back of my mind, I've been thinking about, like, just personally in my life, I've been thinking about how much um, kind of ownership can we put personally on our ideas? And, like, you know, because... We were talking about this last night. Yeah, like, <laughs> where I go, like, I keep on um, kind of, like, wa like, wavering between, like the enfranchisement and disenfranchisement of our ownership of our ideas. Well, I mean, without spoiling what we were talking about, because that was a personal thing that we were talking about. Yeah. But this idea that sometimes happens is like, well, why didn't so-and-so do this? If I was in so-and-so's position, I would do this. And the truth is, is like, we think 
that we make the decisions based on our very smart brain. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is so many choices. Like if we're going to make a choice in life, if like I decide, you know what? Let's start a Patreon. Mm -hmm. I think I'm making that choice to start a Patreon. But the reality is, is it took a like a nearly infinite well of choices to bring me to that singular choice. And like you can't. So the ideas that we have today are the direct result of every idea that we've ever had in the past and that we can't really hold our present selves responsible for the decisions that we've made in that past. So, so like, because because we're not that person anymore. And so, if you're looking like, at I, other people and going and judging them and their poor decisions, uh, those are decisions that you would probably make given the decisions if, that they had already made. Yeah, if you had, yeah, if you had made every other decision that led up to that decision, you'd be making, making the decision. same decision. Yeah. So, like, so, but that, like, I don't want to like disenfranchise myself from my own sense of free will, but I also want to be able to look at other people with like complete compassion and, and yes. think to myself like, well, that person is making that poor decision or that decision that I disagree with, or they are they are holding precious an idea I think that is bad. Um, like I can't really hold the person in the present responsible for all of the decisions that, you, do, do you hear what I'm trying yeah, to no, no, say? I agree with you. I agree with you totally. And it goes back to what we were talking about yesterday and this idea of going into 2022, wanting to embrace kindness and, and the ability to embrace kindness requires proactive empathy. Mm -hmm. And so when you encounter something that makes you mad, you have to stop yourself and put yourself in that thing that's making you mad, which is probably a person. Right, right, right. And right. seeing the world from their point of view and not necessarily going like forgiving them or whatever, but just trying to understand why is this person making this stupid thing that's making me so mad? Well, like, I think that, like, the free will element is, like, when you are in the present, you should be asking yourself, like, what is the idea that I'm holding precious and does it make me feel good? Like, so if I make in the present tense like the idea of like, man, this person is just making the worst decision and they're they're so hateful and evil. And so that's the idea that I'm holding precious in that moment. And I go like, well, this, like, does that make me feel empowered? Does it make me feel good and kind and generous? No, it's not. Right. And right. so you have to release that thing, like that thing that you that's making that thing precious in the moment. But then when somebody else is holding an idea precious, where they go like, where where they are going like people are bad and evil and making bad and evil decisions like i don't have to attack the idea that they're holding precious because that idea is not precious to me right you right. know yeah, what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. so like when you s see someone acting like you know um 
Who's like well, so what's he, that so spindly guy? What's the spindly guy who's the with the in Lord of the Rings? Gollum. So when you see someone <laughs> the spindly guy. So t- when you see someone like Gollum holding something precious that is uh, like uh, just a like what what you see as a disgusting mass of hair, <laughs> you just have to go let like let it go. Well, I guess. So I don't know. well, I, I like it's it's I'm, I'm I'm very curious to see. I'm mixing metaphors. I'm, I'm I would like to know how our patrons think about the conversation that we're currently having if it makes any kind of sense to you because we are not using specific examples because we're talking around specific Some examples. family issues. So here's what I think. The Gollum's ideas are pretty good. Why did we respond so well to Did You Hear What Eddie Gein Done? The mm. Eric Powell, Harold Schechter comic book. Because that book puts you in the head of Ed Gein, a figure that you could look at as a true monster that we could otherize and and treat him like a demon, mm-hmm. as a foul beast, because he did commit the most heinous, the most heinous of human acts, right? But what that book did was it put you in his life to a degree, obviously. It's still filtered. It's still imaginary. It's still a fiction. But it puts you behind the lens of his point of view and showed you as a human. It de-otherized Ed Gein. And, and it dis- disenfranchised him over um, the his ownership of his ideas. Like, you know, every idea that was put in front of him, every, like, like he was put, so, like some terrible ideas were put in front of them and he held those ideas precious and it made him a terrible person. Right, You right. know? And so you go, you look at that with person with empathy and go like, well, that person's not really responsible. Not Well, they're responsible for their acts, but at the same time, I can have compassion for them. There were things that happened that put him on the course to do, to do what he things. did. And some of those things were, you know, exterior, the yeah. family he was in, the abuse he was experiencing. Some of those things were internal. His brain, yeah, right? Like yeah, yeah. we like to think that we are free from our brain, but there are cracks and fissures in our brain that we have no control on. You know, right. our you know our but, mental state. So here's my my conflict. My conflict is I have compassion for Eddie Gein because he was not fully in charge of the. Outcome of his, of his life. <laughs> yeah, of the outcome of his life. Now, can I then too disenfranchise myself of pride of my own ideas? Where I go, like, look at the beautiful ideas I'm putting out in the world. These are my ideas. I'm a precious and beautiful person. I think it's a I think it's doing those things and being aware of you are a product of your decisions and the decisions that have you have, have not been made, imposed upon that have you. been imposed upon yeah. you. And that's but I the think exciting that that's, thing of life. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I think that's just the chiaroscuro of it all, where it's yeah. just like we are we are all balancing two opposing things, the darkness and the lightness. And it's in that kind of balancing act that we live our lives, you know? Yeah. And sometimes we'll feel more of the scuro and, and sometimes we'll feel more of the And chiaro. again, I just want to reiterate that this is not about me forgiving Ed Gein or whatever stand in for Ed Gein, you know, lock him up, you know? Yeah. Uh, But for me personally, going into 2022, after several years, not just the pandemic years, but several years of feeling awful when I'm having conversations with people who do not have my point of view, Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I could sever myself from those points of view, but that also doesn't help me. Not personally, a, personally, 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 for Brad Gullickson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not experiencing what other people are experiencing. But for Brad Gullickson, I've made a choice not to sever myself from certain people who share radically different points of view for me. And for me to have a better year, right now, and this could change, I'm choosing to practice proactive empathy. Proactive empathy, yeah. And like, and that idea of going like, I'm fixating on something. I'm fixating on something that's actively making me feel terrible. Yeah. And that, so that, that isn't like, you know, like isn't something that needs to be addressed right now. Right, 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 So right. I go like, why am I clinging to this ball of hair and calling it precious? Just, it's gross, makes you feel bad, let it go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, this is Brad and Lisa's experience. Yeah. <laughs> we might very well just, we probably will we'll negate walk ourselves. back on it, who knows? <laughs> um, and, and we're not telling you this is how you should behave. This is- This is just what like, you we're know. Work, this is what we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, you know. Okay, uh, anything else about Sandman um, issue 17? 17, is it 17? Yeah, it is 17, okay. still 17. All right, thank you. Started this- Episode being 17, ending the episode being 17. Yeah, but we liked it. We really, really loved it. Liked the art quite a bit. I hope we see Kelly Jones again. I'm excited by the next issue. Yes, so I remember the next issue. So Oh, you mean from your past yes, so, 14 years ago read yeah. of Sandman? So it's a, the, um, this issue ends with um, a little like like line at the bottom of the page that says next. And then you see a set of cat eyes, a dream of a thousand cats. And so this is the next issue is an issue with a ton of cats. All right. A ton of cats. I'm yeah, excited. So many cats. I like cats. And next issue, we really will cool be art. reading with a physical copy. We have the single issue How in front fun. of us. Uh, we read this one digitally. So I always get excited. Actually the next two issues, we're going to have the physical copies. And we'll discuss the publishatorials within and the letters pages and all that stuff. Love that. Uh, that is going to do it for us. We Please gotta... leave comments on Patreon. We love them. Love the comments. Please leave them. Uh, we are going to finish up our notes on the second life of Dr. Mirage That's part two. That's my plan two. for today. We are going to record that episode this week. It'll be our final episode of 2021. Next year, we're going to kick things off with our next Sandman Patreon episode, issue 18. And then we are going to have an epic best of 2021 episode. And we may have some guests. Yeah, we're doing something a little bit different this year. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah. We're asking a few cool people, some friends of the pod, to contribute their favorite comics of 2021. And we're going to sprinkle those clips throughout our own uh, discussion. Yeah. Brad has a lot of editing ahead of him. I, I actually don't think it's going to be that bad. It certainly won't be as difficult as our Fantastic Four episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so, a lot of work. I'm very excited about it because, again, we've got some pretty cool friends who are yeah. joining the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out. Until next time, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Oh, hey, it's Brad in the present again. You can't get rid of me that easily. I just wanted to hop in here and say that those episodes that we're promoting at the end of our Sandman conversation, the best of 2021 episodes with all those rad comic podcasters and journalists, those are done and available. And I've included links in the show notes. They were absolute beasts to edit. But because of that, it's some of my 
favorite content, and I'm super proud of the work that we put into those episodes. So if you have not given them a gander, now is the time. Again, links in the show notes. Okay, I'm finally getting out of here. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know at MouthDork on Twitter, at CBCC Podcast on Twitter. Let's talk. And don't forget, our Angela and Sarah episodes are coming real soon. I promise. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week, a wonderful night, a wonderful whatever.